Brothers and sisters, this world is an unfair place. Great inequality is found in our world today, especially economic inequality. And it's always been around. A thousand, two thousand years ago, when Jesus walked, there was great economic inequality. And thousands of years before that, there was great economic inequality. We have poor people in poverty and we have very wealthy people in riches. And it sometimes even seems that this divide just grows further and further apart. But today I want to talk to you about what the Bible teaches with regards to provision, because I think that this is such an important topic in this season we're in this. The world's climate right now for many of you may seem very uncertain or, you know, maybe you're scared. Maybe you're, you know, you're not sure what's going on. And I want to give you a message of hope and freedom and peace today, because that's what the Bible gives regarding this topic of provision. I am a full time minister of the gospel. God has given me this gift to be able to do this as my profession. But with that came a great, uh, can I even say learning curve from switching to from a full time employer of, you know, a, a secular job to being basically working for God and his kingdom directly in a different way where there is now now this provision that needs to be trusted to a greater degree. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience and 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 how God journeyed with me in this video, because I think it will help you no matter what kind of job you have. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that we are living in a, a place, a world. And, you know, it's always been this way, but we we live in a world where there is oftentimes a, an employer above us. There's oftentimes someone who we work for and we sign a contract with a company or, you know, whatever. And there is a, a contract contractual promise that says that this company, this employer is going to pay you X amount of money every month, right? Or or per year or whatever. And this and this is in exchange for your labors for them. And then we trust on this company, right? We trust them so much with our whole lives. And we 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 arrange our lives around this contractual promise that this company will provide our needs as long as we work for them. Right. And we trust it. But but I want to ask the question. If there was a similar promise, if there was a similar uh, contractual covenantal agreement that we had between us and God, where God says, I will always provide your needs. Ought we not to trust such a contract even more? You know, what is ironic is sometimes I find in our world that we trust men more and the agreements that we have with them more than the agreement that we have with God when we come into covenant with him, because God and we will soon be talking about and discovering more about this. But God has given us promises in his word, covenantal promises, things that he says that I will do this for you. And so I want to submit to you that sometimes we when when things go 
weird with our work, maybe you get fired, maybe you are afraid of getting of losing a job, maybe you know whatever the shakiness it may may be. You know this world has many shakings, and this world will always have many shakings. There's there's many instabilities in this world all the time in different ways. But if we are shaken by those instabilities, if our emotional um, uh, tendencies, if our spiritual leanings, if if where we are at is going to be shifting with how the world is, we're going to just be like on a roller coaster ride spiritually with our relationship with God or our emotional states, etc. But if we rather placed all these things, our spiritual state, our emotional state, all of this, rather dependent on God if God is the norm if God is if God is what we trust in above anything else including employers would that not greatly impact the way that we live our lives our relationship with God because I've seen it you've seen it I'm sure that you had you've seen someone who maybe lost their job and then or they or something happens and they get angry at God right because now how could God allow me to lose my job, right? Or, or whatever the case is, because that person had their entire everything placed on their employer and their employer was their basically their stability. So if the employer was taken away, their stability is taken away. And that is dangerous, brothers and sisters, because we ought to have our stability and foundation built on God and his promises instead. Because now when your employer does something weird or or whatever it is that you trust in in this world, if, if something goes wrong, whether it's the government or whatever, and something goes wrong and they don't come through for you. But if, if, if you rather have that trust really on God and his promises, not the contract, pro- your, your trust isn't mainly built on the contract with your employer or the government, but rather with the covenantal agreement between you and God. Because when that has occurred, now you have stability no matter what this world goes through. Now you have spiritual relationship stability with God and you have emotional stability because, oh, I lost my job, but that doesn't matter because my boss was never the one who cared for me anyway. Oh, the governments didn't come through for me in the way that they said they would. But it doesn't matter because my trust is not in my government anyway. It's been in God because my contract, my covenantal uh, promises between me and God, like a wedding vows, is something that I am going to put above all else. And when that is above all else in our lives, there is a great amount of peace that will enter our lives and we will experience great freedom and we will not be in bondage and slavery to the things of this world, organizations or whatever else. We will not be uh, dependent on them to the same degree. We will experience a level of freedom from them. And, you know, an even deeper layer to this is sometimes it's not that we we put all trust in, a, in our company or our you know government or, or whatever else. But sometimes we put all our trust in ourselves and we trust ourselves more. And I think especially for us men, this is true. We trust ourselves and we need control and we we everything is on us to provide. And surely, of course, we ought to 
provide. We ought to work and for our uh, and labor, right? And that's how we get money. That's a good, honorably way to do so. However, if you think that you it is dependent on you, you it's about your work. You're the one who provides above all. You're the one who does it. No, you're deceived. Because God is the one who allows you to get anything in exchange for your labors. God's blessing must be there for that to occur. God is always the one. The Bible says that all good things, all good gifts come from above. All of them, not just some, not just all. Everything that's good in your life comes from above, whether you're a believer or not. It doesn't matter. And so if we realize that we can give credit where credit is due and understand that, yes, I do my part. I'm going to work. I'm going to labor, whatever. I'm going to do my best. But that's not at the end of the day. What is the provision? God is always the one who is the provision for my life. And I think that it's worth exploring this topic within a very famous New Testament uh, account of Jesus, where you may have heard of this story, but you may have not heard it explored as deeply as I'm going to do in this teaching. And what I'm talking about is the story of how Jesus told Peter to go fish. And then he found a coin in the fish's mouth that they used to pay the taxes. Now, this story all begins in Matthew 7, verse 24 where there is a type of tax collector that approaches Peter and asks him if Peter's master, Jesus, pays taxes to the temple. And he said, yes. And we see that this tax collector is not, you need to understand, he's not a normal tax collector like you may have heard in other pages of, read in other pages of the Bible, but this is a temple tax collector and he is collecting taxes for the temple of God. Matthew 7, verse 24. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay tax? Yes, he said. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, Peter, first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Now, what Jesus is saying here is quite interesting and profound and and I think an answer that some of us may have not expected because he's saying to Peter, you know, we have temple tax now, but he's asking, do those who are asking for taxes tax their own sons? And Peter said, no, those who aren't the sons are the ones who are taxed. And then Jesus said, well, then they're free. And what Jesus is really referring to is he's saying that Peter, me and you, we are sons and we are free from this tax. We're free from the temple tax. We don't have to pay it. And that's quite interesting because the temple tax is actually supposed to be for everyone. So why could Jesus say that he and Peter is exempt? Well, he's talking about 
something new, something that wasn't really around before because he is introducing this new term of being a son and he is referring to themselves being sons and them being excluded from the temple tax. So if they are of God now through Jesus is coming to say that I and Peter were excluded from temple tax, that's a new thing, a new invention, a new saying, because before, you know, the last thing that was said regarding this is when God told Israel to pay a tax with regards to this, which we're going to explore soon. But what is this sonship? What is this thing that Jesus is saying that we are sons now? That's why we are free from this. What does it mean? As we talked about in the introduction of this video, there was a change. There is a covenant that came into being when Jesus arrived. And even and that covenant uh, was established fully when he was crucified and to die for our sins. What the difference is, is before Jesus arrived, before Yeshua came on the scene, there was a different kind of relationship between man and God, because what happened is that man has fallen in the garden. Adam made the mistake, right? And because of that, the fall of man occurred. And with this, there is a, um, a, a, a kind of relationship that man started entering that can be described as being a type of slavery. Because as man tried to enter a relationship with God, we remained slaves to our sinful nature. And we felt like we could never please God because we are slaves to sin. The very thing that comes between us and God. You see, when we see throughout the Old Testament and especially even in the story of the Exodus is this kind of slave master relationship. We see that the the uh, Israelites within the Exodus are kind of like slaves trying to serve their master, who is God, because they are in debt with their sin and because they are consequently unholy, unable to come into God's presence and having all these issues. Now they need to, to be able to get approval from God. They have only one avenue. And that avenue is simply upon uh, from what they can do. So just like any if, if there was, you know, if you think about any kind of slavery, a slave master relationship is completely built upon what the slave does for the master. That's why there is a relationship. You are my slave. You work. Right. And it is this work that that it, that dictates our relationship. If if someone does not work, there is no more relationship. Just like a work, a, a, a same kind of relationship you have with your employer, perhaps. It's the kind of relationship where you are there and you have a relationship with your employer because you work for them. The day that you give a, a give them a paper that says, I'm not going to work for you anymore. That's called a resignation letter. That's the day that that relationship typically ends and you go along your way and you, you don't see each other anymore. So that was the same kind of relationship that Israel had because Israel had the only way for Israel to to get any kind of approval from God or to, you know, um, make God happy or to 
that their entire relationship was completely built, if you will, on uh, what they could do. And this is why that relationship suffered the way it did. Because Israel, if you recall, continuously made mistakes in their relationship with God. They, they sinned, they fall, fell. And this is because they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do today. I'll pour it on them. And, you know, so they, they were kind of, they, they, they were failing in that. And because of that, there was a greater divide that was just growing and growing. And, and they were in essence divorced from God. Even though God was there for them, God cared for them, God provided them very a lot for them, right? And He blessed them, He brought them deliverance, and all these things, because God does this regardless of whether, so, where, where someone is, because He loves people. What happened was, though, is that God's plan from the beginning was now being fulfilled in Jesus, where He came to die to restore that divorced relationship. He basically came back to, if you will, remarry his bride that went away to adulter to, to commit adultery with the world. And this place that we were in, in terms of our relationship with God before Jesus, was really a desperate place. Because because of the fall of man and the sin nature that we were now being born into, we all sin. We all make mistakes. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, you know, we all have sin. And if we say we don't, we're a liar, right? Because we are unable to be perfect because of this fallen nature we have found ourselves in. However, this is a problem because we serve a God that is perfect and holy. And so this God who's perfect and holy and who cannot allow sin in his midst how can we now have a relationship with them? Because the only way that that relationship could work is if we were sinless too. But like I said, you can't be sinless because your nature doesn't allow that right now. So we are in this stuck in this place where we have nowhere to go. We can't have good. We, our relationship with God will be continuously hindered because of our actions, because our relationship with God is only built on what we can do, because if we don't um, do enough to be perfect. If we don't do only righteous deeds completely righteously, we will be suffering again that divorce, that separation from God. And that's why Jesus had to come because he cleanses us from our sins. He makes us white as snow. So now we are able to come into his presence. And there is a change in that relationship because now we have shifted from being a divorced bride to a remarried bride. One that he came to die for. And so this is huge because it brings a change in the covenant in essence from being a change in terms of that in, in, the, in terms of that relationship where it was previously a slave marsh relationship. But now it's going to be a son father relationship. See, the difference is huge because slaves they're only kept around for what they can do. You know, the moment that, that they don't do well enough, they're fired by the master. However, a father-son relationship is different because the son is kept around because of who he is. He is kept around simply because he is a son. Think about the story of the prodigal son described in the scriptures where it talks about this son who was 
uh, went away to dwell with the pigs. He basically fall, fell into sin. He, you know, wasted his money and everything. And he, his father was at, at home and his father's heart was breaking for his son who was now out in the world, separate from him. And then when things went really bad of the son, the son came back to the father and he said, can I just even be like one of your slaves? Because that's, uh, they, they've got a better life than me at this point. And what we see is this. He says this in Luke 15 verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, it's very interesting what this prodigal son is saying, because he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And that is kind of interesting because this son has a a wrong mentality of his relationship with his father, because this son thinks that his father is going to treat him like he treats a slave. That that this son thinks that he would only be kept around his father if he could do stuff for his father instead of understanding that he will be kept around because of who he is, that he is a son. So it's not a he says, I am not worthy. Well, yes, he's not worthy. And that's what we also say to God, Lord, I'm not worthy. And yes, we aren't. We are worthy of hellfire. That's what we're worthy of because of our sin. But just like this father of the particle son, our father, God says, that's good. That's I get that. But but it's not about what you do that makes you my son. It's not about what you've done before that makes you or doesn't make you my son. Why was the particle son the son of his father? Because he was born of his father. Simple as that. He didn't become a son because of what he did. No one becomes someone's son because of what they do. They become someone's son because they are born of that father. It's a family line that they're born from. That's what a son is. And so what this prodigal son's father did is he said, my son, and he he grabs a ring and he puts it on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. He gives him a robe and he 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 kills the fatted calf and he has a big party for his son, welcoming him home because his son is home. That's he doesn't care where he's been. He doesn't care what he's done. And that's what our father, who our father is and how our father sees us now. He doesn't see us like a slave. He isn't like, well, you did a lot of bad stuff, so I'm not going to keep you around anymore. No, he's saying, you are my son. So yes, you may have done bad things, but welcome home. Here is a ring. Put it on your finger. Here's a robe. Here's shoes on your feet. And here, let's kill the fatted calf because you're home. Welcome home, son. So see what happened is with the fall of man with Adam, we were born of Adam. We are of Adam's seed. And because of that, we have a fallen nature and we are slaves to sin. What that means is we we can't we're sin rules over us. And because of that, we are divorced from God. But now we transition from being of that seed of Adam to rather being born again. This is what Jesus said. You need to be born again. Yeshua said, be born again to Nicodemus. Why? Because if you are not born again, you're not a son. The only way that you can become a son of God is as if you are born of your father, born of that family line. 
When you are born of that family line, he is now your father through blood, in essence. And now he treats you as his own son. Not as someone who is far off and divorced, but someone who is his son. And what was the prodigal son's great blessing that he received from his father? Well, you know what we just read regarding the prodigal son. He was dwelling with the pigs. And one of the main reasons he returned to his father was because his financial well-being was it was bad. It was it was going bad of him financially. He said, well, my my father's slaves are even getting better treatment than I am. So let me go and turn to my father's house. And that's what the father did. He gave him things in terms of provision. And this, my sisters, I want to submit to you that this is the same. Our father, God, when we become his son, when we become born of him, we receive that blessing too. You see, a slave, a slave only gets payment for what he labored in, right? Like, so if that slave got sick, there's no food, there's no labor, typically. Or if that slave didn't feel like working today, that slave stayed home that, you know, like, like we are working for our employers, we decide to stay home one day, you're not going to get paid. But our father is merciful to a greater degree because we are his son. If you are going to your father with regards to these issues, with with regards to problems, with regards to like this prodigal son, whether it's your fault or whether it's someone else's fault or whether it's whatever, it doesn't matter. Would your father not extend a hand of grace to you because you are his son because of that relationship? Of course. And this is what we have in this new covenant with God. We have this greater kind of relationship that was made possible through him dying for our sins and opening the door of relationship where we can see him face to face. In essence, we can have that relationship like Moses had. And with that, we can inherit all the blessings that we ha can have through a father son relationship. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So God says you will have sufficiency in all things. You will have your needs provided for. So, brothers and sisters, I want you to also consider reading this 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 in its context because we are also supposed to be stewards, good stewards of what the Father gives us. When our Father gives us, because remember, all things, all good things come from above. So if He gives us anything, whether it's a salary through your employer or whatever it is, all good things he is giving to you and you need to steward it in your life. So that means you go and you give back to his kingdom in whichever way he leads you, because that's actually part of our responsibility of stewardship when we want to partake in this covenantal relationship with God of as him as our provider. And so what we have now is this relationship of us have with God, it's now evolved to a place where we are both obedient 
just like a slave would be to a master. And in fact, um, Paul himself describes himself as being a slave to God. So we are supposed to be like slaves. In other words, God says, do this. We do it because we love him because he is our father. That's but it goes further than that. We're not just a slave doing what our father says. We do that because we love him, but we have now a a higher kind of relationship. That is a son father relationship where we we have a greater measure of um, blessing and honor. That's from our father that we would not have had if we weren't born of him as his son. Okay, so I know that this was quite a mouthful and we've now talked about, you know, the slave master relationship and how we have gone to a a son father relationship with God. And now I want to tie it all together for you because we started off with talking about Jesus and paying taxes. Okay, so now we have, you know, Jesus talking to Peter, telling him the story of how uh, they are sons and they are free. Okay, and because they are sons of the father, they are free from that uh, temple tax. Now, what he is going to say next is very profound because he says, "Okay, regardless, I want you to still pay the tax. So that you don't get give them offense. He says this, Matthew 17, verse 27. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook. And take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, this is really profound. This is the miracle part. And I love it. Jesus tells him to go fish and get and he gets the fish and he takes a shekel out of his mouth and he pays for them both because it's half a shekel for Peter, half a shekel for Jesus. That's their taxes that are due. Now, why did Jesus ask him to get this money from a fish? Because everything that Jesus does, everything our Messiah, Yeshua, the Messiah does is for a reason. And I want to submit that this is no different. Remember what he told Peter in the beginning of their father son relationship. That is that, Peter, I want you to become a fisher of men. Remember that? So God is connecting fish to men. He is telling Peter, like you fish, I want you to now fish for men. And now he's telling him to go fish. And through the fish, he's going to get this uh, shekel to pay the taxes due to the temple. Okay, this is going to be so profound. So I need you to listen carefully about why this happened. The, the, the premise is, is that Jesus is telling him to get a fish because the fish represents the gospel. We ought to be fishers of men. That's we ought to give them the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus came to die for their sins so they can become sons and part of this covenant as well, just like Peter is. And so the first thing we learn is that our labors for the Lord ought to be uh, in, in laboring for the gospel. And this can be as your primary career, but if you are called or it can be as something that you do alongside your secular career, it doesn't really matter. We're all supposed to be 
full-time ministers because our lives at all times are supposed to be um, working for his kingdom. Whether, whether that's the primary means of you getting an income, it doesn't matter. You're supposed to work for the kingdom. So in your laboring for the gospel and being a fisher of men like we all ought to be, that is your responsibility towards the kingdom. And what God will do through that is he will bring provision because it is through Peter's catching of the fish that he received the provision, the coin out of the fish's mouth. Isn't that beautiful? So God says, I will provide for you miraculously, but I need you to do your part in laboring for the gospel in the way that I have given to you. But brothers and sisters, I want you to hold on because this gets much deeper and even more amazing. Okay, when we look at where this temple tax comes from, okay, this is from Exodus 30 verse 15. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shackle when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. Okay, so this is amazing because now we see that this temple tax is a money that you give, right? Half a shekel basically for each person. And this serves as atonement for your life before God. And it also says that we are instructed to have all people give the same amount. There are no tax brackets. The wealthy pay the same. The poor pay the same. Because this is a gift uh, or an offering that is for atoning for our lives, that is for our sins. In essence, it's a picture of that. It, it means that the wealthy and the rich will have to pay the same because all of us have the same life value. Just because you're a rich person doesn't make your life's value or your sins date more or less. We are all sinners and we all have great debt in terms of our sin before we meet Messiah, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. It also shows us that you can't hide behind your riches and try and use your riches as a mask for your sins. Because before God, it's all the same. That's why he told all of them, no matter their economic circumstances, to pay the same amount. But let's be honest. Okay, when this was given in Exodus 30, okay, this is a picture of the real payment that will need to be made one day. Because, of course, we know that half a shekel is not going to be enough to atone for all of our sins. So, of course, it was a picture. And that picture was fulfilled in Jesus' death for our sins. So get the profoundness of this then. Now that we have the picture filled in, we have all the pieces to the puzzle. Peter was told by Jesus to go and fish. And from that fish, that fish representing the gospel, he will get the temple tax payment. So the way that Jesus tells Peter to pay for his atonement, his life debt, the sin payment, if you will, is by a miracle that is provided through the gospel. Does it seem familiar? Yes, 
Jesus is that miracle for Peter and for us today. He is the one. He is the one that the fish represents. He is the gospel message. He is that and he provides supernaturally by means of a miracle, a coin that is a payment for our debt, our sins. And we are able to be free. We can pay the temple off. We can pay God for our sins because God is the one who the very one who gave us the payment. He says here, my son, I will supernaturally provide the atonement, the lamb to die for your sins. And you will take that coin and you will be able that payment and you will be able to pay for it then. That's what Jesus did for Peter. And that's the picture that he did of what he did for us as well. And brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that this miracle being so intertwined with um, finances, as you have heard, is profound because imagine uh, Jesus's mentality, how Yeshua was thinking about finances, because, you know, if he he heard from Peter, hey, master, we need to pay taxes. He didn't go and say, oh, no, where are we going to find money for taxes? Like, how are we going to do this? You know, he he didn't worry and, and, and fear for these things. And this is a picture of how we ought not to. Why? Because the Messiah said we are sons of our, our heavenly father. And because we are sons, we don't have to pay in that way. We don't have to worry in that way because he's the one who pays for us. He's the one who provides for us, not just salvation. I mean, if he provides salvation, what more does he, can, could he provide? If he could pay for our sins, if he could resurrect us from the dead because of our sins, but he pays for it and raises us, how much more can he pay our taxes bill? How much more can he pay our, you know, our, our rent? or food, or whatever else there is. That he is a good father. And he will, if he could provide for the little birds and the trees, how much more will he provide for us? If he could clothe the lilies, how much more could he clothe you? And so, brothers and sisters, as I end this off, I want to just share a personal testimony. I remember, you know, I was working in the secular world, as many, uh, most of you do. And I remember, you know, I have my employer, I have my regular salary, which I trusted and all these things. And I remember the father, he prophesied into through someone that I'm going to be, he's calling me into full time ministry. And, and later he led me into that. And as I was uh, entering it, or just before I was entering it, I remember I was, I was thinking about now giving in my resignation letter. And I will never forget it because I am giving in a resignation letter to my employer who is giving me this stable salary and I am giving that up so that I can just totally now start depending on God because now I will have be able to have the time to work for him full time. But that also means I have to completely depend on him financially. Now, this was a big problem um, for me. Because at that point in my life, I had recently met my now wife, Christina. I lived in South Africa and she lived in the United States, which meant that an immigration was on the horizon. And all this, right? So I'm moving countries. I'm changing jobs. I'm getting married. 
okay? I'm leaving family behind. There's a lot of costs associated with all of these life events, never mind all of them having been at once. And I remember considering maybe I should not quit my job at this point because I have gonna have a lot of things to pay for. And as I pondered these upcoming expenses, the father just clearly came to show that we need to go ahead. I need to go ahead and leave my job just as he put on my heart to do. And the way he did was was incredible. And I want to share it today with you as as a message of hope for you. I remember I was talking with Christina regarding this and we were discussing, you know, me potentially leaving my job and the consequences that would bring and the risks associated with that. And uh, we I remember one of us, we made we were just joking, you know, we were just on the phone and we were just joking. But she she or me, we, one of us said, hey, why don't we toss a coin? And, you know, kind of like how they chose the disciples, you know, uh, the replacement for Judas. They they basically draw drew straws. It was all a up to chance. And that's how they made their decision. And um, but we weren't we were just joking. But as I took my wallet and I took a coin out to now toss a coin to see what what it would what it would land on because we we're not sure what to do. The coin that I get out of my wallet is an Israeli shekel. But you need to understand that there is no Israeli shekel in my wallet. And what I mean is I, I don't have an Israeli shekel I didn't. I don't know how it got in my wallet. Maybe it was someone who randomly gave it to me, but I'm in South Africa. I'm far from Israel. And regardless, this landed in my wallet somehow. God made it appear in my wallet. And it was the first coin out of many that I got when I pulled it out. And as I have it in my hand, I am naturally like weirded out by this and I'm like shocked and and we're like and I'm like well I guess we should toss the coin now and we tossed the coin and of course it fell on go and leave your job right go and do go into full-time ministry the way that I said you should (laughs) and that is what I did and from there the father even though that was a from the world's perspective, a very risky, maybe even irresponsible thing to do. The father provided so abundantly for our needs since then. Every single month he provided our needs. Hey, and when he provides our needs, that's wonderful. That's enough. It doesn't mean that he does. He's not, I'm not going to come here on today and say, that he's going to make you a millionaire like many televangelists would try and do possibly. I am here to say that he will provide your needs. What do you need? Because that is what the father says I will provide. I will provide shelter. I'll provide food. I will provide for the things that you need. And he will do so often incredibly abundantly and with such grace and love 
and mercy. And today I will stand here and say glory to him because he has only provided abundantly for us in terms of our needs. And we are not rich by any means, but we are well. It is well with our souls and we are looked after because we are sons of our father. So in conclusion, God is the ultimate giver. No one can boast that they have given more than he has. He even gave to the point of dying for people, many of whom hated him and put him on a cross. And yet, even though we don't deserve it, he gave it all for us. So, brothers and sisters, in light of that, how can we think? How can we say that we believe in that? We believe that God did that for us. We believe in salvation, but we don't believe he can provide our needs. That is an insult to our father. That is actually a form of how can we say we believe in salvation and have faith in him to save us, but we don't have faith for him to get food on our table when we absolutely need him. As long as we do our part and fulfill our responsibilities, as I've discussed in this teaching, the father comes and he provides our needs. And so I know that there may be some of you out there today who are uh, maybe you're worried about these things. Maybe you're worried about financial circumstances or whatever else. Let's pray about this. And I trust for the Father to come and show you that everything that I have been saying in this teaching is true. So, Father, Lord, I thank you, God, for just coming and Lord, coming against unbelief, Father. I thank you, Lord, for showing your people your love and mercy and grace that you are the ultimate giver and that your giving does not only stop at the cross, but extends into the little things of our lives, Father. Lord, I thank you for freedom in terms of and Lord, I, I just in terms of finances, Lord, and in terms of poverty, Lord, we command poverty that spirit of poverty to leave in the name of Yeshua, Lord. I thank you no household listening will have a state of poverty. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for freedom in terms of um, the worries and the fears the enemy's been using to take us captive. God, I thank you, Lord, that we will not be uh, in bondage to those things, Lord, but that we will trust in you because we are your sons and you are our father. Lord, I thank you. That is who you are. You are a father. Thank you for the covenant that you've given us, the contract that we could enter with you, one that is a loving relationship like a bride and a bridegroom. Lord, I thank you just like every husband desires to take after their bride. You, how much more do you desire to take look after us? Father, we thank you. Give, help us to be ambassadors for your kingdom, livers of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to, to and empower us to proclaim it everywhere we go and to use the gift, whether financial or talent in some other sense. Help us to use all these gifts to give back to your kingdom in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this teaching has blessed you. A special shout out and thank you to our partners and patrons who have made this video possible this month. Consider becoming a partner of this ministry to help us reach the nations with the freedom, hope, peace and goodness of the gospel.